came to study the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So praise the Lord. I've got a Bible school up in uh, Milton, Florida. We've, we've been, uh, many of you know Brother Falour. They've got a huge missions program up there, support a ton of missionaries. They've got a Bible school up there. And we're going up, uh, flying out tomorrow, flying up there to Milton. And Friday night and Saturday, they want me to teach a semester from our school in two days. We're going to have to have to pare it down some, but we're going to try and try and uh, in uh, in about nine hours to go through the the highlights of the material on the four gospels and the differences in the in the four gospels. So I hope you be in prayer about that, and we'll get back in about uh, twelve o'clock on Saturday and be here for church on Sunday, which starts at a different time than it usually does. If you don't change your clocks, uh, so you're supposed to. Lose an hour of sleep Saturday night. Isn't that awful? But you get to make it up in November whenever they do that. So, Or you just come to church and make it up. As <laughs> long as you're here, we can count you in the attendance. <laughs> Amen. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter number 5. Book of Acts, the fifth chapter. Acts chapter 5, talking about the names and titles of Jesus, and tonight, he is the prince. He is the prince, and he is also prophet, though prophet is not a name specifically of Jesus Christ in the Bible. He certainly is the prophet, and we'll take some time to look at that as well. Father, thank you for your word, the Holy Bible. Lord, we see the mess this world is in. We wonder why more people aren't turning to your word, but then we realize that that question answers itself. Uh, They won't turn to your word, which is why the world's in the mess that it's in. Lord, we thank you for a book that can guide our steps, give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding, give us truth and peace and joy and hope. And we thank you for this Bible and pray you bless our hearts as we study tonight. We thank you. Uh, Julian's father's out of the hospital. We pray you'd help him with his recovery. And uh, bless that man, uh, Lord, as he tries to get over this uh, accident. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for the word. And pray you'd open it to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in Acts 5, the Bible says, in verse number 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. I agree with that. You agree with that? Now, we obey men as far as we're able, but when, when we have to choose between obeying God and obeying men, we should always go with, with obeying God. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. There's no way to preach the gospel to lost people without offending them. Because to tell them the truth, you're going to have to tell them why they need to be saved. And the minute you start down that road, somebody gets their feelings hurt. And these men, they're, they're saying this to people with the power to put them in prison or to take their lives. But he says, God our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins... And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Now, our topic tonight is Jesus Christ as the Prince. 
but we'll take an opportunity to expound upon this passage just ever so quickly before we do that. This is Peter speaking four chapters before Saul of Tarsus meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Peter preaches the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and says that he is the Savior of Israel and offering them forgiveness of sins without one word mentioned about baptism, sacrifices, offerings, or law-keeping. And he said that's what we, that we, bear, we witness these things and the Holy Ghost witnesses these things. They're not preaching law, they're not preaching a kingdom. They're preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this Jesus Christ is said to be a prince, see the capital P? A prince and a savior, capital S. So, God has made him the prince of life, praise the Lord. You can have life through this prince. Now, here, here it's just thing, this, these men are witnessing to human rulers and human governors. They are subject to human kings, but they point out to them there is a Savior who right now is in the position of prince. Meaning what? He is in line for the throne and he is destined for the throne, though he has not yet taken that throne. Which means they may well go to prison. They may well be tortured. They may well be executed for their faith because whether they obey God rather than man, man has power at this point in time to execute Christians for preaching the gospel. Why? Because their Savior currently is a prince, not a king. But one day, that prince who is the Savior will be king. So here's what we understand. We understand that Jesus Christ is the King of kings. But we understand that he has not yet taken unto him his great power and reigned upon the earth. And therefore, he is technically, scripturally, right now he is the prince of life, though he will certainly be the king at the time of his return. Now, there's no question he's going to sit upon that throne because we saw Sunday, he's got the power of an endless life. So he's not going to die before he gets to ascend to the throne, but just at this point in time, he hasn't taken the throne. It was real popular back 20 years ago or so among the charismatic uh, groups, they would put uh, signs up and, and bumper stickers on their car and things, and, and you'd have one that say, Jesus is Lord over Daytona, or Jesus is Lord over Orlando, or, uh, well, that's a nice wish, but it's pretty evident Jesus is not Lord over Daytona. And you don't have to spend much time in Orlando to know Jesus is not Lord over Orlando. Now, He is the Lord, but He is not exercising his lordship over the cities and the countries and the people of this earth. Not yet, but he will. He is the prince. As surely as as these men crucified him, as surely as God raised him from the dead, as surely as he is the Savior, he will one day rule and reign. Now, let's go in our Bibles to that future day. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter number 1, and let's see what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Revelation 1 and verse number 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Let's stop there just for a moment and th- throw this out. We, we are living in a day of apostasy and decline, we know that, but if you study any era of church history, if you study any century of, of the history of the New Testament church, there's always been apostasy, there's always been heresy, there's always been men falling away. But may I, may I suggest to you that if when John wrote in most margins, say 95 AD, somewhere around there, if when John wrote there were seven churches in Asia, how many do you think there are in Asia now? It hasn't all fallen apart. It hasn't all gone down the drain. You might know churches that have fallen by the wayside. You might know Christians that have gone back out in the world. But for us to look at where Christianity was at the end of the first century and where Christianity is now, the rumors of the demise of the church are greatly exaggerated. There are a lot more than seven churches in Asia now. So we thank the Lord that that despite all of the efforts on the part of the devil, the gates of hell have not prevailed against the church. In fact, the church is uh, is stronger and, and larger than ever, despite all the persecution. All right, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the king's of the earth. Now that's a that's a, a really great statement. It doesn't matter who's reigning and where. Guess who is destined to take their throne? It doesn't matter who is in charge in the extent of their of their kingdom or their dominion. Guess who's next in line? See, when this thing's all over, If there is still a Russia, if there is still a United States, if there is still a Ukraine, if there is still an Iran or an Iraq or whatever's left, all of those earthly rulers will abdicate their thrones and vacate their offices because there is one who is the prince of all the kings of the earth. Everybody that reigns over anything is going to one day step aside and Jesus Christ will take over. That's okay with me. All right, let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter number... No, no, uh, Daniel 8 before we go to Isaiah. Let's go to Daniel chapter 8. Not only is he the prince of all the kings of the earth, he is prince of all the kings of the earth to the disappointment of those who have other plans. The Bible says in Daniel 8, right in the midst of one of these chapters that nobody yet really understands, in verse number 20, well, 21, and the rough goat is the king of, well, no, 20. Let's just start 20 so we can, not that we know what we're talking about, but we'll, we'll have some vague idea. Verse 20, the ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. And the rough goat is the king of Grisha with a great horn that is between his eyes. 
uh, is the first king. So what we know, we know we're talking about kings that have dominion over the earth during Daniel's time or beyond Daniel's time, but they are kings who are exercising some authority and power over God's people, nation of Israel. So the Bible says in verse 22, now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, where the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding, dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper in practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. So, without trying to figure out what nations He's talking about, and is it the Antichrist, and is it pastors, and all that. We're talking about kings. Okay? We're talking about empires. We're talking about kings and empires with the power to overrun and dominate other kingdoms and other empires. Okay? Now look at verse 25. And through his policy also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince, capital P, of princes, small p, but he shall be broken without hand. Okay, first of all, whoever this guy is, and most think it's the Antichrist, but whoever he is, when that prince known as Jesus Christ decides to put an end to him, he will do it. And it'll be without hand. He won't need an army. He won't need an, an atom bomb. He won't need a, a war. He can just stop him anytime he wants. This is why we spend our time occupied with Jesus Christ and not with politics. He could stop it anytime he wanted. There's nobody holding any office or exercising any power on this earth that can do a thing to stop the Lord from stopping him. Or stopping her as soon as he's ready. But here, here's, here's what's interesting about this phrase. He's the prince of the kings, but he's also the prince of the princes. Because there are some people right now in this world, and always have been, no, no matter when you read this verse, this side of the second coming, there are people who are not in power, but they plan to be. There are people who are not in charge, but they're pretty sure they're going to be in charge. Now just suppose, just suppose one of the Bush family had a child in the next year or so. Don't you, don't you think it's pretty certain that at that kid's first birthday party, they're lining him up for the Senate? Right? I mean, there's an expectation. There was a time in the golden age of, of uh, fornication and deception when if you were born a Kennedy, you were just bound for some sort of political office and graft and making million, becoming a millionaire in a job that pays $50,000 a year. I mean, that, that was your destiny. That was your future. And I'm telling you, all over this world, there are sheep, and there are backroom deals and there are uh, secret meetings and there's plotting and planning and coups being lined up and overthrows being lined up. There's always been people in power 
And there have always been people with an eye to taking that power. And I want you to know tonight that everybody who plans on ruling this world will only be able to do so until Jesus Christ shows up and says, that's enough of that. See, Satan on the mountain, he, he showed Jesus all the kings of the world a moment of time. He said, he said, I got power, they're mine, I give them to whoever I want to give them to. You want to bow down and worship me? I'll give you some. And Jesus was the first man to look him in the eye and say, I'll get it without bowing down to you. You think I have to bow down to you to get one or two of these puny little kingdoms? I will come back and take every single one of them, having put you in a chain and cast you into hell. So he's the prince of princes. He's not only going to take over from everybody who's ruling, he's going to disappoint the hopes of everybody who thinks they're going to rule. Because you're not going to get it. He's going to get it. The Antichrist for a short while will gain the whole world, but then he'll lose his own soul. That'll be the end of that. All right, Daniel 8, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter number 9. The heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing and they, they set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. But that first psalm ends with God setting his son upon the throne on the holy hill of Mount Zion. And so you can plan all you want. God's got plans. And His plans will cancel out yours. Isaiah 9, verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government should be upon His shoulder. And His name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, this, this bothers people that Jesus called the Prince of Peace, and he's going to come back at Armageddon and burn up his enemies. It bothers people that Jesus called the Prince of Peace, and that he's going to come with a sword and with a rod of iron and so forth. So, let's travel back in time. Let's put some flowers in our hair and go to San Francisco and march in a peace demonstration and sit in the park and hum and, and, and do all that stuff that, that Bill and Hillary used to do when they were young and, and bring peace on earth, goodwill to men. Okay, now, when you get back from that little trip, let's talk about reality. If you live in South Korea and you do not want to be overrun by North Korea, you can have, do one of two things. You can plant a row of flowers along the border and put smiley face posters in the ground. Or you can arm to the teeth and point everything you've got on the other side of that border. Now, there's only one thing that's going to keep you safe. And that's having bigger guns than the guy that wants to wipe you out. I mean, it'd be nice if the whole world was saved, born again, full of the Holy Spirit, but they're not. They lust, they desire to have them, so they kill. That's just how it goes. If, if, you, if you're Europe and you got any sense at all, and there's an invading army coming up from the Middle East trying to take you over, you don't continually pass legislation 
to let your invaders know that you're really nice people and you don't want to discriminate against them and, and you just think they're wonderful just as long as they don't wear the full burqa, not the half burqa. Other than that, they can do what they want. You're going to lose your continent. You can't protect yourself from death unless you have a means to deter the one who desires to kill you. And a pea holding two fingers up and sticking a flower in the end of somebody's gun only works because he has orders not to shoot you when you do it. Well, you know, this guy, this one guy, he stood in Tiananmen Square and he stood in front of a tank and he stopped the... What did he stop? You mean communism's gone in China? You mean there's no death camps in China? You mean there's no slave labor in China? Because the one guy stood in front of the tank. Americans are so silly. I mean, I don't know if it's a noble thing or not. When the monk burned himself with gasoline in Vietnam, how'd that work? I think you had 12, 15 more years of killing over there. Listen, you can protest war. But the only way to stop war is to be strong enough to keep the other guy from starting one. Now, you know, that, that, I'm not saying I like that. But that's the reality of the thing. It's, it's been the reality for, for 6,000 years. And so, uh, we had, I don't want to get too far afield here, but, Believe it or not, when I went to elementary school, we had bullies. We did. There's a kid in the fifth grade. Named, he was, his name was, was uh, Mike Smith. And he was supposed to be in the sixth grade, but he's in the fifth grade. So they kept, they kept him back a year, which meant he was a year bigger and a year stronger. And, and when you get to school, he'd meet you outside of school and he'd say, he'd say, you know what these are? These are steel-toed boots. If you don't give me your lunch money... I'm going to kick you where it counts with my steel-toed boots. I was never sure where it counted, but I didn't want to get kicked with his steel-toed boots. So I started carrying lunch instead of buying lunch. Back in the day, you actually had to pay for your lunch at school. And uh, so anyway, that kid was a bully. That's and and so I went home and I and and I, I told my mom I was hungry and she said why and I said well, I don't want to tell you and she said tell me and I told her and and so she told my dad. And my dad said, well, you better start lifting weights or doing push-ups or something, or they're going to push you around all your life. He didn't get a lawyer. He didn't go to Tallahassee. He didn't whine to the news media. He said, well, if, if you can't beat the guy up, you're gonna, you better get used to forking over your money. That's how it works in this world. Now, just because America has legalized pansy, doesn't mean the rest of the world is going to go along with it. And the, the minute they think they got more weapons than we've got, and the minute they think they've got bigger bombs than we've got, they're going to wipe us out. That, okay, so that, that's, that's not political. That's, that, that's Isaiah 9. How can he be the Prince of Peace? Because the only way to establish peace on earth is to either destroy or terrify everyone who would break the peace. That's the only way to do it. The Psalms say of the millennial kingdom, kiss the son lest he be angry. In other words, they don't want to worship him. 
but they're scared not to. And so they do. So won't it be great Jesus goes back and everybody loves the Lord? Everybody won't love the Lord. But if they don't, they're not going to say so. <laughs> That's how you have peace. And so he's the prince of peace and a man of war all at one time. All right, Zechariah chapter number 12. Next time somebody's trying to break in your house, call a hippie. Just say, would you come over here and hum? Come quick, bring some daisies. Everybody that's against force and violence, when force and violence is coming their way, they call somebody with a gun. Uh, yes, this sheriff department, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm being robbed. Would you send a policeman out here who's not armed? I don't like violence. <laughs> People are so funny. All right, that, that upset somebody for sure. <laughs> Zechariah 12, verse number 9. Were you saying you're full? No, I'm not for any of it. I wish I lived in a world with no guns, no knives. No bombs, no rockets, no missiles, no nukes, no submarines. None of that in the world. But since bad guys have it, I want good guys to have more of it. Of course, hard to tell who the good guys are anymore. But So let's, let's be honest. I want whoever's protecting me. I don't know if they're the good guys or the bad guys, but I want them to be stronger than whoever is coming after me. Is that fair enough? All right, Zechariah Zechariah chapter 12, verse number 9. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications... And they shall look on me, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Now, you see who's coming? The Lord is coming. And he's coming to bring peace. And the only way he can bring peace is to put down opposition, and he will do that. Thank God. Aren't you happy about that? All right, so he's the prince of life. He's the prince of kings of the earth. He's the prince of princes, and he's the prince of peace. He's not on the throne yet, but he will be. But he will be. All right, he's also prophet. Not a prophet, like The Mohammedans believe, and not a prophet like Mormons and other groups believe. He's not one among many. He is he's the prophet, but he's he's well, let's let's look at it. John six, Acts three, Deuteronomy eighteen. John six, Acts three, and Deuteronomy chapter eighteen. John chapter six. Acts chapter 3 and Deuteronomy chapter 18. And we'll read the Deuteronomy passage first. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Moses is speaking, children of Israel. 
The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. See the capital P? From the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. So one leader for all the nation of Israel. He's going to be raised up out of and from among the Israelite people, but he'll be a prophet with a capital P. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Oreb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet, capital P, from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. That's quite a promise. Quite a promise. John chapter number 6. Jesus has just fed 5,000 men beside women and children with one little boy's lunch. Verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Now what what are they referring to? They're referring to the promise made in Deuteronomy 18. This is the one man that can feed us all, can lead us all, can provide for us all, can protect us all. He's that prophet. Let's see if they had it right. Acts chapter number 3. Acts chapter 3. Verse 19, Repent you therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold these days. How about that? The prophets spoke of the prophet. And the prophet that all the prophets spoke of is Jesus Christ. He's that prophet. Now, everybody that didn't believe Elijah didn't lose their soul. Everybody didn't believe Isaiah didn't lose their soul. Everybody didn't believe Joel didn't lose their soul. But you just read here in verse 23, And it should come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. This prophet, what you do with him, doesn't determine your prosperity on the earth. It determines the longevity of the life of your soul. You want your soul to live? Believe that prophet. You want to lose your soul? Disbelieve that prophet. It's Jesus Christ. He is the prophet, capital P, that Moses and all the other prophets pointed to. Thank the Lord. Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. 
Matthew 21. And verse, well, I've got 11, that doesn't look right. The prophet. Mm. Oh, because I'm in 22. 2111. There we go, it's, it's the altitude. Matthew 21, verse number 8, or, or yeah, verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now they didn't have it. Complete. He's not just the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. He's the prophet. He's that prophet. He's, he's the fulfillment of all the prophet's prophecies. Keep your finger in Matthew. We'll come right back there in just a second. Luke 24 and Mark 8. Luke 24 and Mark chapter number 8. Luke 24. Mark 8. Luke 24, there's two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. Bible says in verse 18, One of them whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. Now, let me show you something fascinating about this passage. What did he say? Over and over and over again. What did he say? He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered in the hands of men. I'm going to be crucified. And the third day I'm going to rise again. Right? He said that over and over and over and over again. Correct? Now, these people are sad as they walk away from the place where the empty tomb is. They've heard that the one that was crucified is not in the tomb. Correct? They've heard that the one who said he was going to rise from the dead is risen from the dead. But they're sad because they don't believe it. Correct? Now here's what's interesting. Verse 19, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. If he was a prophet, why aren't you at the tomb to watch him come out? If he was a prophet mighty in word, how do you call him a prophet and you don't believe what he said? And here's what's interesting, if you, if you run it through, and we're not tonight, 
But the John 6 passage really illustrates it. You know why they said he's the prophet? Because he fed them. You know why they said he's the prophet? Because he healed in their streets. You know why they said he's the prophet? Because he made their lives better. But when he said things they didn't understand or said things that they couldn't grasp, they didn't believe he was the prophet. See, they wanted what they could get from him. But they didn't want what they really needed to get from him. What they really needed wasn't lunch, it was the forgiveness of sins. What they really needed wasn't, wasn't healing of their body, it was the saving of their soul. But don't you, don't you find it odd? They didn't say he was a, a, a miracle worker, or they didn't say he was a great teacher, or they didn't say he was a... They said he's a prophet while exercising a lack of confidence in the prophecy that he repeated over and over and over again. Now I wonder how many times we use these names and titles of the Lord in our conversation, but in the reality of our lives, we don't really practice them. And that's, that's pretty much what he was doing there. Okay, Mark chapter 8, let's look at that. Mark chapter 8. See if I can get the right chapter this time. Mark 8, verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. See, it's not right to make him one of the prophets. Lord didn't say, when he said, you're one of the prophets, Jesus didn't say, well, that's right, they got that right. Because he wasn't one of the prophets. He was that prophet. He was the one about whom the prophets prophesied. All right, Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. And verse 56. Well, let's go to 53, get the context. It came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And is not she a perpetual virgin? Oh, no, wait. And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Mary had at least six other children after Jesus. Whence then hath this man these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So he was a prophet, but he was not honored as such by the people. Not honored as such by his own family, but he will be. He will be. Now, I've heard a lot of Christians use this verse when their kinfolk don't respond when they witness to them, or when, you know, you tell your mom and dad to repent and get right with God, and they tell you to (laughs) 
stop rebuking them for you're going to live off their groceries and the rest of that kind of stuff. And you call your friend, you know, Jesus said a prophet, not without honor. Well, first of all, you're not a prophet. You're a Christian who's a witness for Jesus Christ, you're not a prophet. Uh, second of all, um, don't claim to be a prophet if, verse 54, you can't also claim this wisdom and these mighty works. <laughs> If all you've done is tell people about Jesus and they said, no, I don't believe that, that really doesn't put you in this passage. But Jesus Christ was their prophet. He was, if you will, the, the we call him the last Adam. The scripture didn't call him the last Moses, but in the sense of the prophecy of Deuteronomy 18, he is. He is the one to lead them into the promised land. And He is the one to lead them out of bondage. And He is the one to bring them into obedience to the law of God and the, and the full blessings that are available. And as long as they abode in this unbelief, they didn't get it. And they will not get it until they believe. It takes us back to that Zechariah passage. They will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn. Oh, what did we do? 2,000 years of torment because we didn't acknowledge and now we do and it's a 1,000 years of kingdom because they finally get it right. All right, come to Revelation 19. We'll finish up here. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. And verse number 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's an interesting verse. That verse indicates that everything that was ever spoken by one of God's prophets has its ultimate aim of illuminating us to the person of Jesus Christ or revealing to us truth about Jesus Christ or establishing the the person of Jesus Christ. All prophecy ultimately is about that prophet. And so we rejoice in the Lord in, in, in knowing that our prince is going to come and rule and reign, and that our prophet, well, he's not ours, we're not Israelites, but their prophet will establish that kingdom, that peace, that righteousness as he promised. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you.